If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the title of the message this morning is God Provides a King. God Provides a King. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, let's start reading in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Rama. This weekend, Lord willing, I want to bring some messages from the life of David. God, when he wrote his Bible, wants us to know about David for many different reasons. You probably all have heard of Abraham, haven't you? And he's mentioned about 250 times in the Bible. And then there's a guy named Moses who's mentioned about 800 times in the Bible. And then David's mentioned over 1,100 times in the Scriptures. Not because he's more important than Moses or Abraham, but the point is is that God has a lot to say to us through the life and experience of this man. One of the most important things about David, maybe the most important thing about David, is that he is a glorious picture of Jesus. When we see the life of David, there's much that we're supposed to see in David that's to take us past David and to look at Jesus. So talking about God getting our attention, God wants to get our attention through the life and experiences of King David so that we may look and know more deeply Jesus. But David also was a man mightily used by God. He's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. Um, how many of us, when we are in trouble, what do we do? We, we, we open our Bibles to the Psalms, and many times it's a psalm of David that God moved this man to write. 
Um, David is quite a character. Okay, we see if you're if you're discipling a young Christian, if you're teaching your children, there's many things about David's life you say, do that right there. Pray like that. Serve God with that kind of a spirit. And then there are some parts of David's life that you say, don't ever, ever do that. Watch out for that. So we see in David some glorious moments. We see in David some unspeakably awful and tragic moments. But one thing that we see, and Lord will look at several times this weekend, is we see in David, we see the unchanging faithfulness and mercy of God. From start to finish, we see the unchanging faithfulness and mercy of God. So in, this, in the message this morning, Lord willing, I want to look at how that David points us to Jesus as King, but I also want us to learn from David about a man who God was pleased um, to use. So when we think about in this scene here, you have obviously Samuel going to anoint David to be the next king of Israel. But as we think about a king in Israel, we have to go back a bit in Old Testament history and, and, and hear about this. Went back all the way back in Genesis when um, Jacob is giving his dying blessing to his sons. He comes to Judah and he says, Judah, the, the scepter will not depart out of Judah. The scepter being the, the rod that the king would hold, a, a, a symbol of kingly authority. So we know that, wow, God's going to give a king to his people and it's going to come through the line of Judah. But then we go for a really, really long time and we find no king. Even Moses in Deuteronomy, Moses writes about the ideal king. Um, He will be a just king and he gives instructions to what this king is supposed to be like. And this king will not be a foreigner. He'll be one of you. He'll be one of your brethren. He'll come from Israel. But then we read more in the scripture and we go a lot of chapters and we don't see a king. So did God forget? Did God promise too much? Was God unfaithful to fulfill? The answer of all those is no. You know that God, uh, many times you look in Scripture, God is in no hurry. Sometimes He is, but sometimes God is in no hurry. And that's instructive to us to trust the goodness and the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God, even when we can't see with our eyes before us what He has promised. But this king that God had promised, God was faithful to fulfill that promise. But it took a long, long time, didn't it? You go through all of the the story of the judges and Gideon and uh, Samson and then the bad judges and you go through all of that period and you still, you don't find a king. But it's amazing how that God works. Not only does God work often not on our timetable, but God often works not in the way that we ever would have picked or ever would have thought that He would work. So God chose to fulfill um, this promise to bring a king to Israel. This is crazy. He did it through the unfaithfulness of Israel. That, that's kind of the chain of events that started. Samuel was a, the last judge, and he was a prophet, and he really marks a transition period in redemptive history. And Samuel was a godly man, a godly leader in Israel, but towards the end of his life, the, the people began to say, we want a king. We want a king. Now, God had promised them that they would have a king. So on one level, it wasn't necessarily wrong for them to want a king because God had promised that, but their heart, their motive behind it was way off. And we know that because God told Samuel, Samuel, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me. 
They're rejecting my rule. They're rejecting my reign. They are putting all their hopes and all their trust in a mighty military man who will take care of all their their enemies, and that's where their trust is putting. And so really what happened was, is that Israel rejected God's authority in asking for a king. What is the fruit of rejecting God's authority? Well, for Israel, it looked like King Saul. And if you've read 1 Samuel lately, you know that's not a good thing. Oh, Saul started well. He was attractive. He was muscular. He was, and for a while had some victories, but pretty quickly it became evident that Saul, in contrast to David, was not a man after God's own heart. In fact, God told Saul in 1 Samuel 13, I'll just read it quickly, after one of Saul's mistakes, Samuel, God's word through Samuel to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, 13. Saul, thou hast done foolishly, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now will the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept uh, that which the Lord commanded thee. So the fruit of Israel's Rebellion was they got King Saul, who did not lead them toward God. Look back in 1 Samuel 16, really uh, the last verse of chapter 15. Samuel's a godly man, and he is heavily grieving. 1 Samuel 15 uh, carries another story of Saul's disobedience and unfaithfulness. Samuel confronted Saul with his sin, and then it says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Get that. He mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. So here Samuel has seen the fruits of Israel's rebellion. Samuel's a godly man, a godly leader. He wants the people to go towards God and to worship Him and to be faithful. But then they reject God's authority. So God says, all right, here's a king. And they get get Saul. And then Samuel grieves over this king who's not the Deuteronomy 17 king. He's not the ideal king that God has. And so he's mourning. He's grieving because he loves God. He loves God's people. He loves the glory of God. But then... We find some gospel right here in 1 Samuel. Some gospel. You know what gospel is, right? Good news. So in 1 Samuel 16.1, God preaches some gospel to Samuel. He tells him some good news. The Lord said to Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil. And go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Here's the gospel. For I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel, you don't have to keep crying. You you don't have to keep mourning. I see your grief, but you don't have to keep mourning. Because Samuel, that mess that Israel has made, I have provided a good and a godly king. I have provided a king who will lead my people toward me. I have provided me a king after my own heart. So we referenced, and so just look at the goodness. He spoke to us about the goodness of God. Look at the goodness of God's provision here to Israel. The goodness of His provision to His people to provide a faithful king. We we referenced Abraham earlier. Well, remember God had made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah, you'll have a son. And then for a long time, what happened? They didn't have a son. So Abraham and Sarah said, hey, we'll figure this out. You can have a son through Hagar. And what was the result? was Ishmael. 
So the, the work of Abraham and Sarah's hands was Ishmael, and the work of Israel's hands was Saul. What was the work of God's hands? The work of God's hands to Abraham and Sarah was Isaac, the son of promise. The work of God's hands to Israel here was David, the king. All pointing to the ultimate work of God's hands, that God has provided Jesus. God has provided a faithful king. Oh, what man's hands, we produce that which destroys and that which is corrupt and rotten, but God in His goodness provided a king in Jesus. Praise be to His name. So we look, we look at Israel's rebellion. Okay, rebellion against God's authority. That, that's not just Israel's problem in 1 Samuel. That's the human problem. That's the human problem. Okay, every one of us here today, by nature, we're rebels. We just need to admit that we're rebels against the authority of God. We are like Pharaoh who said, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And, 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 and you see the fruit of that. What, what do we see in this world? You see the fruit of rebellion against God. You see greed, and you see deceit, and you see jealousy, and you see people that want things so bad that are forbidden that they will, they will hurt, destroy, kill, connive, whatever it is to get what they want. You see idolatry. You see brokenness in every, every facet. All from what? From the fruit of man's hands that rejects the authority of God. It's, it's the human problem. It's every one of us. It's every one of us. So just like Israel of old, we need a king. We need a king. We need a king who will conquer our hearts and lead us to no longer rebel against God, but to joyfully, happily submit to God. We need a king who will teach us that it is a good thing to be ruled by God. We need a king to conquer our enemies. We need a king to protect us, don't we? And we need a king to point us to God. And the gospel this morning is, is that God has provided just such a king. And His name is Jesus. God has provided a king. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Many, many, many years later, after even David, you see the angel's message to Mary in Luke chapter 1. In verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Somebody say Amen. amen. Hallelujah. God has provided a king. God has provided a king to sit on the throne of David. Now let's, we don't have time to talk all about the, Jesus' kingdom right now, but let's think about this for a moment. When the angel told Mary that, did she, are we to understand that Jesus was going to go sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem? No. So just like Israel of old, we need a king. We need a king. We need a king who will conquer our hearts and lead us to no longer rebel against God, but to joyfully, happily submit to God. We need a king who will teach us that it is a good thing to be ruled by God. We need a king 
to conquer our enemies. We need a king to protect us, don't we? And we need a king to point us to God. And the gospel this morning is is that God has provided just such a king. And his name is Jesus. God has provided a king. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Many, many, many years later, after even David, you see the angel's message to Mary in Luke chapter 1. In verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Somebody say, Amen. Hallelujah. God has provided a king. God has provided a king to sit on the throne of David. Now, let's, we don't have time to talk all about the, Jesus' kingdom right now, but let's think about this for a moment. When the angel told Mary that, did she, are we to understand that Jesus is going to go sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem? No. See, there's parallels, but there's also contrast between David's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom. David ruled over an ethnic people. He ruled over a territory with geographic lines. And Jesus rules over hearts. Jesus conquers hearts. He conquers hearts by His grace. It doesn't matter their ethnicity. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter whether they live in physical Israel or no. But Jesus has a realm, as Brother Zach prayed, a realm of grace. A realm of salvation in which He brings those who are rebels against God. And by His grace, by His power, by His mercy, through His conquering love, He brings them over into His kingdom to be ruled by Him. And David had a, he reigned for a long time, 40 years. I'm 40 years old, that's a long time, right? 40 years of, to be a king. What did, what did the angel say to Mary? Here's, here's gospel. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus, his reign continues on. But this expression, God has provided him a king. You think about that. That the, the words of the Lord to, um, through Samuel to Saul, that the Lord has sought a man after his own heart, as if God's on this search. We think about Christ. And it's not this way, okay? But maybe it helps us to see some of the glory of it. It's not as if God said, let me do a search through heaven. I'm going to go to every corner of heaven. Who could I find that would be the ideal king for my people? Some of you baseball fans will remember Lou Pinella. Lou Pinella was a hard-nosed baseball player, uh, a manager. Just to see his face makes... I would not have wanted to play for him. Lou Pinella had this big jaw, these eyes that would stare holes in you, known for a hot temper. But I remember one time watching a playoff game. It was late in the game, and uh, his team had gotten on base. And so he decided, he came out of the dugout, called time, he's going to look for a pinch runner. So you want a pinch runner, you want a guy who's going to be fast, they need a run, it's late in the game. And I'll never forget Lou Pinella, the TV panned to him, and he's, he's standing outside the dugout just looking in the dugout, looking in the dugout like, who can I find? And I remember he got, I'm crazy, I remember the name Charles Gibson. He got Gibson. I know that because Gibson played for the Memphis Chicks, and I was so excited. But anyway, so he found Gibson. And I thought, man, I'd hate to be Gibson right now, because you know? Lou Pinella's just been staring at You better be fast enough. You better score this run. Who could I find? Who can I find that will conquer my people's enemies? Who can I find that will conquer their hearts and bring them from the wretchedness of sin to grace? 
Who can I find? Who can I find that will protect my people and will point them toward me? And God found His Son. God found His Son. And said, I'm going to anoint you as King. And you will go to earth. And you will take on, you will become one of them. As Deuteronomy 17 says, you'll be of of them, one of their brethren. Fully God, fully man. And you will be the King of my people. Look in Hebrews 1. In Hebrews 1, we, this, is, this is like a holy ground passage. In Hebrews 1, you have here a, 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 a scene, a passage where God the Father is just gushing over His Son. He's gushing over His Son. God, want to get, God wants to get our attention. He wants us to look at His Son. And again, look at Him again and again and again and again. In Hebrews 1... Here he's contrasting how that Jesus is greater than the angels. I'll just break in the context in verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, this is God the Father, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Think about that. When, when the incarnation takes place and the God-man comes to the world, the Father saying, angels, worship. Angels, worship. Adore, praise, magnify. Do what you got to do. Worship my Son. Of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. That's impressive. But, but unto the Son, he saith, God the Father, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And then God the Father just keeps on talking. And he calls Jesus now Lord, and thou Lord. In the beginning, son, you did this. You have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They shall perish, the heavens will, the earth. But you remain, son. And they shall wax old as doth the garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But son, king, Lord, you're the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels said he, sit at my right hand. Son, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Let me tell you, God the Father is impressed with the King. God the Father is really excited about the King. Because He's a righteous King. He's an eternal King. He is God. He, listen, our, king, our kingdom is so secure. Because the King is the one who created the world. And the kingdom of Christ is so secure because the King is going to outlast all that He's created. All this earth is going to burn up, but the king is going to remain. He thought about needing stability in a messed up world. Well, it's found in, in King Jesus and in his kingdom. He's a righteous king. He loves righteousness and he hates iniquity. So what a king to rule over is good and just and wise and gracious and merciful. Later in, in Hebrews, we won't turn there, but you see Melchizedek, who's a type of Jesus, the, the priest king. Remember his name? His name is Melchizedek. Or he's, his, uh, the, he's king of he's king of Salem, which means peace. King of righteousness, it says. So King Jesus is establishing a kingdom of righteousness and peace. In fact, Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. And we needed a king like that because the reality is is we're rebellious and we're not righteous. And so we have a king who has brought in righteousness for us. 
We have a king who has brought in peace with God for his people. Now, how could rebels against God be made to have peace with God? How could rebels against God be made to have peace with God? Well, because this king, Jesus, is like no other king. He's like no other king. Not only is he the king, but like Melchizedek, he's also the priest. And by the way, he's the prophet too, but we won't go there today. But he's the priest. And so this king establishes his kingdom through dying. He establishes his kingdom through sacrifice. And by his sacrifice on the cross, he takes sinners like you and like me and all who God brings to hope in Christ. And he brings them to be, have a state of, of, be, of having peace with God. No longer known as rebels but those who've been brought to have peace with God. Romans 5 tells us being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, a little bit more about this king before we move on. We need a king to conquer us, and he does that. He does that. He conquers us of our rebellion. And his grace is so glorious that he does things like this to to, to make it just specific and real for us. You know the kind of conquering that Jesus does in people's hearts? He conquers us so that we're no longer ruled by selfishness, but now by love. And and, and that's a battle, isn't it, every day? But Christ is ruling us where where now He conquers a heart that was wholly given to selfishness. and says, now I'm going to teach you how to love. I'm going to teach you how to give of yourself. I'm going to teach you how to serve. I'm going to teach you how to forgive. He does things like this. He conquers hearts to where we are no longer resistant fully against His rule. But Jesus teaches us, again, that it's a good thing to be ruled by Christ. Now listen, even as true believers, there's still that wrestling match. Every day isn't there. There's a wrestling match in our hearts every day of who who we are going to decide functionally is king. (laughs) Am I going to live as if I'm king today, or am I going to live as if Jesus is king today? But Jesus is teaching us, sometimes little by little, but Jesus is teaching His people in whose whose hearts He rules and reigns and conquers that it is actually a freeing thing and a blessed thing to be ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. To be ruled by Christ. Well, how does Jesus rule over us? He rules over us through His Word. He rules over us through His Word. He rules over us through His Spirit. Now listen, we we, we may say, I I love the King, I love the King, but the King talks, okay? The King talks. And He talks through His Word. And so for those who love the King, they want to be taught by the King. They want to say, King, how do I live in Your Kingdom? Would You teach me? How do I live in Your Kingdom? And you find really Jesus doing that with His disciples in the Gospels. When He's leading them along and He'll say things like, Yeah, in the kingdom of men, the big shot, everybody serves Him. But it won't be among you because in my kingdom, the greatest becomes the servant of all. The greatest becomes the servant of all. So today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, see yourself yourself as a citizen of the kingdom. And say, Jesus, would you rule more fully in my heart? Would you teach me through your word, by the power of your spirit, of how to be a faithful subject in your kingdom and to labor in your kingdom for your glory? Well, 
before we look back at David, I've got to get this one in there. You want to be excited about the king? So the king, he conquers our hearts and he brings us into his kingdom. The king protects us. The king points us towards God. But I don't want to leave this one out. The king defeats our enemies. The king defeats our enemies. We, we don't have time to go there this weekend, I don't think, but 1 Samuel 17 is the great story we all know about David. We think of David, we think of Goliath, don't we? And you know the scene. The, the, the scene is, is that Goliath and all of the, the, people, the army of the Philistines are on one side and they are super confident and they've got the upper hand, they've got the momentum, and then the people of Israel are the weenies. It's the weenie army. They're all afraid. They, they don't want to fight. No, nobody wants to go take, go take on Goliath. And it goes on and on and on this way. And then God sends somebody there after his own heart. He says, wait a second. Doesn't the glory of God count for something? That guy's defying the, the living God. Yeah, but David, you're small. Yeah, but my God is great and the battle is the Lord's. And so David goes, as we know, with his what kids, with his sling and with his stone, and he slays the giant, but the best part's coming, especially little boys, the best part's coming. He goes over, and the Bible tells us not just for, to keep little boys' attention in church, but the Bible tells us for a reason. David goes, and he gets the sword out of Goliath's sheath, sheath. And what does he do? He cuts his head off. Yeah! <laughs> he cuts his head off. Why do you think that's in there? God wants us to look at David and see Jesus the greater David, the son of David, that Jesus Christ has utterly, completely, fully conquered all the foes of His people. That He has taken sin and said, I'm going to get my sword and cut your head off. That He's taken the curse of death. And and this is precious because the stench of death is all around us, isn't it? The stench of death will, will touch us throughout our experience before glory. But Christ, because He died and He rose again, has taken the sword and cut death's head off. So that, 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter, would say it this way, Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's the gospel. God has provided a king. God provided a king. I encourage you to consider, where do you stand with the king? Where do you stand with the king? Are you outside the kingdom? Being ruled by your own desires, going your own way? Let me tell you, the king will conquer everybody in one of two ways. (laughs) He'll either conquer souls by grace, or he will bring them to their knees at that final day, and they will have to say, you are the Lord. Let me tell you, every here today, here today, you're responsible before God. God's provided a king. He's a good king. His name is Jesus. He's a gracious king. He receives sinners. And He covers them in His righteousness. Run to the king for mercy. He loves to give it. Run to the king for grace. He loves to give it. Well, let's look back in 1 Samuel 16 for the remainder of our time this morning. We've seen in this passage the gospel. God provides a king. And of course it's pointing us to Jesus. But... We also see in this passage is that God, he, he uses a man. He uses a man named David in real life action service to the Lord's kingdom. Let me tell you this morning, let me ask you a question this morning. Does God need any of us? You may talk. No. But does God in His wisdom have a way and a purpose to use His people? Yes. God didn't need David. 
He really didn't. God could have, he could have killed Goliath in a lot of fun ways that we could, we could speculate about, couldn't we? But God chose David. God chose David. If there's anything I remember my dad saying, especially in my teenage years, just, I guess, a point of emphasis I felt like, maybe just the Lord speaking to me in his preaching numerous times in those days was, live in a way that God would use you. Live in a way that God would use you. Because God uses people. God uses people. You may be young, you may be old, you may be middle-aged, but David, we see in David here, there's a reason that God chose David. And of course, it was the grace of God that worked in David. Of course, we know that. But God, there's something here that God chose David for a reason. God didn't choose him. Well, he, he rejected Eliab. But God chose David. Why did God choose David? I, I want him to use me. Why did he use David? Do you want to be used by God? Well, let's look back here in the, in the scene here in 1 Samuel. God tells Samuel, go to Jesse's house. And I have provided me a king among his sons, and you're going to anoint one of those sons as king. So Samuel comes to town, and the elders of Bethlehem get scared because the prophet doesn't just show up um, every Thursday. What's going on here? Are we in trouble? And he says, hey, we're at peace. We're going to do a sacrifice. Sanctify up. In other words, do the ceremonial cleansing, get ready to come to the sacrifice. Jesse and his sons will be there, and we're going to do the sacrifice. So I don't know all what Samuel said to Jesse. Maybe he gave him a hint. Hey, God's going to use one of your sons in a big way. I want to see them all. We're going to pick, God's going to pick one. He'll tell me who it is. If you're a dad, how are you thinking and feeling about that point? Like, wow, this is pretty amazing. God has sent his prophet all the way down here to little old Bethlehem, and he's going to pick one of my sons. I bet it'll be Eliab. I've always loved my firstborn. He's a great kid, you know. So, and Samuel thinks so too. It's like, wow, this guy, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab must have looked impressive. If, Daniel was good, if David was good looking, it says there, I guess the whole family was good looking. But, you know, Eliab, he looks impressive. I bet this is the one. That makes sense, firstborn, all the rest. God says, nope. So I don't know what Samuel does. I don't know if he kind of makes a hand motion to Jesse. Hey, next one, you know, get him out of there. Just get number two in. Jesse's maybe a little, oh, okay. I guess it would be number two. So he calls Abinadab. Nope, Lord hadn't chosen him either. Jesse's trying to encourage himself. All right, it'll be, it'll be Shema. Yeah, he's, he's the smartest of them all. You know, some of the genes got down to the third one. He'll be the smartest of them. And nope. I don't know what Jesse's feeling. I don't think we're supposed to think about Jesse a ton here, but you can just imagine a little embarrassment, a little, oh, I knew that Shema should have combed his hair different today or whatever it may be. <laughs> and maybe, maybe Samuel's getting like, Lord, what's... what's what gives? You know, four, five, six? Maybe I heard wrong. Seven? Do you have any more kids? <laughs> There's one more. It, and why is it tell? Listen, God often does the unexpected. The unpredictable. Because God is God and we're not. That's the simplest line of the sermon, maybe the best, right? God is God. His ways are His ways. So he gets David, and he comes in, and this is the one. And so he anoints him with oil, a symbol of the God consecrating and empowering him for service. And the Spirit of the Lord, in a special way, I believe, comes upon him from that day forward. But why did God choose David? Well, look up in verse 7. You know the verse, if you've been in church very long. But the Lord said to Samuel about Eliab, 
look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Why did God choose David and reject Eliab? Because God could see what Samuel could not see. God could see the heart. Listen, let me tell you today, you know from God's Word that God is interested in your heart today. Young person, old person, everybody in between. God is interested in your heart. What is the heart? Jesus talks about it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs talks about it. Out of the heart are the issues of life. As your heart goes, so you go. The heart is the control center, if you will. It's, It's the headquarters of the person. So your thoughts, your desires, your, your motives, your actions, or your the actions come from it, your thoughts, motives, desires, your will. That's the idea of the heart. That's the idea of the heart. God is interested in the heart. Now, God's not against good looks. I just want to assure you of that, okay? I remember as a kid thinking, man, I guess if you're really spiritual, that means you've got to marry a girl that's not that pretty. And thankfully, that's not how it is. God's not against good looks. God is for beauty. God created beauty, didn't He? David was a good-looking fellow. That wasn't the issue. God didn't say, well, I'll choose him because he's ugly. He, he, looked well, he looked good also. There's probably some of you young ladies here today that some guy came in with broad shoulders and straight teeth and you just almost fainted. God's, God's not against good looks. But don't love good looks more than God loves them. More than God loves them. Here's the reality. David was good looking, but there was more to David than his good looks. God saw there's something more substantive here. There's there's something deeper here. There's, There's character here. There's deeper than just good looks. So let's think about the heart for a moment. A couple of points. There's an inner quality of beauty that's more valuable to God than the outward. This is, this is girls and guys both, okay? So if you don't like the word beauty guys, just think whatever you want to think. Handsome, strong, whatever, athletic. There's an, there's, an inner, there's an inner quality of beauty that's more valuable to God than just the outward. There was a, a mom who had um, a son named Lemuel. And she told him about some really wise things about, about women in Proverbs 31. And this one applies not just to women, but to everybody. This principle, Proverbs 31.30. Hey, son, as if she was saying, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Son, it's fine to pick a beautiful woman. But if that's all she's got, it'll get old literally and figuratively. (laughs) If that's all she's got, there's not much there. There's not much there. Do you know that you know, the, the world emphasizes the outward, doesn't it? The, the world emphasizes the, the outward beauty, the, the wealth, the, um, the athletic ability, the, all the outward abilities, not all those things bad, but, but that's what the world emphasizes. I mean, we, don't, we don't have magazines that say, you know, the, 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 most, um, the best charactered 70-year-old women. We just don't have that. You don't have that. Say, the, the top 40 under 40 men with the most self-control in Memphis. 
The world doesn't care. But God does. God does. God cares about character. God cares about our hearts. So as if God... And He's looking. He looks on the heart. And so as if God is... As if He's saying... You know, that, that guy, he's just filled with himself. He's just filled with pride. That young lady, she's really pretty. She's beautiful. She turns heads. She gets attention. But she's, she's stuck on herself. She's manipulative. She doesn't really love people. Listen, here's a scary thought. You can turn the most heads, you can get the most attention, and in one way be useless to God. I don't want to be that way. Lord, I want to be usable in your service. He's a, he's a slave to instant gratification. He just wants what he wants. It's all about him. He wants it right now. But on the positive, we don't have to be the negative, on the positive, as if God is saying, you see that girl? You see that woman? I mean, she sees past the surface. You know that hymn we just sang, Be Thou My Vision? She's got the vision. She fears the Lord. See, she, she stands in awe of the Almighty. And she knows that the Almighty and Him and His ways and His kingdom is of way greater value and worth than anything else. And so therefore, she pursues me and she finds her joy in me and her hope in me. And that transforms her to where she is a joyful, happy, willing servant in the kingdom. You see that guy over there? You know why he's not stepping himself? It's because he's more impressed with Christ than he is with himself. He's more impressed with this King and His grace. He knows what it is to be forgiven and to be cleansed. And so this guy, he, is, he, he has a beautiful heart because he's more impressed with Christ than with his own self. Let's look at a couple of passages that we see David's heart. Because God chose David because God saw his heart. Because God admires the work of his own hands. God had made David's heart this way. Look in Psalm 27. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, First Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Here's, here's a beautiful heart. This is when David was in the wilderness physically, but he also was in the wilderness of his soul. But here was the cry of his heart, his deep desire. Psalm 63. O oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh longs for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Would you stop there? A beautiful heart for God is a heart that longs, that longs, that longs for fellowship with God. A heart that longs to be in the presence of God. A heart that feels empty and dry when not being in the presence of God. God, I need You. I want to be in Your presence. I want to see Your love. I want to have that vision that we sang about. I really want to, Lord, be able to say with all my heart, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, You are my inheritance. High King of Heaven, You are my treasure. God loves that kind of a heart. God says, I'm going to use that person. Verse 3, Because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. Thus will I bless Thee while I live. I lift up my hands in Thy name, a heart that longs to praise God and to glorify Him. Verse 5, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise Thee with joyful lips. What a beautiful heart. Here's a heart that's finding its joy, its satisfaction in the Lord. Look at Psalm 27, another one of David's psalms, and you see David's heart. I'll just give a sampling of verses here. Verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David had a lot of times of fear in his life. We'll hopefully look at that some later this weekend. Sometimes he handled it better than at others. But David had a heart, and he wanted a heart that saw God as bigger than all of his fears. That's a beautiful heart, (laughs) y'all. That's a heart we need, isn't it? God, you're bigger than my fears. I I see my fears in perspective with you. Go down to verse 4. And this is in a context of fearful circumstances, verses 2 and 3, but verse 4. One thing have I desired. Here's again, the desire, the heart of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life for this purpose. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Here again, David has a heart that longs to be in the presence of God. God, I, I, I don't want to live outside of communion with You. And so I'm seeking after it. In Your Word, in the house of God, in prayer, in fellowship, I'm seeking after You, Lord. I want fellowship with You. Why? Because I want to see Your beauty. And I want to inquire in Your temple. I need You to teach me. I need You to guide me. Let's go down to one more in Psalm 27, verse 11. Verse 11. This right here is a heart that pleases the Lord. Verse 11. Teach me Thy way, O Lord. And lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Listen, a heart that pleases the Lord is a heart that's willing to be taught by the Lord. You just do a cursory reading of Psalm 119, and what do you find? David said, Lord, teach me your ways. Help me understand your statutes. Open thou mine eyes, I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. See, that's not a heart that's proud. That's a heart that's saying, I need to be taught. I need instruction. Lord, I need to see more of the depths of who that you are. Oh, for a heart like, like that. Well, so God sees, in, in God seeing the heart, number one, there's an inner quality of beauty that's more valuable to God than just the outward. But secondly, this is obvious, but this is important. Young, young people especially, please listen. But really all of us. I can't just put it off on y'all. God sees past the surface. God sees past the surface. People can fool people, Right? We do it all the time. People can fool people. But we can't fool God. God sees past the surface. He sees... Listen, Eliab outwardly was sanctified. He, he did the ceremonial sanctification to go to the, to, the, to, the, to the feast. And God rejected him because God saw past the surface. God saw past the surface. So personally applied, just know this, that God looks at your heart. So don't be a fake. Don't be a fake. It would be better to be a genuine and frequent repenter than to be a smiling hypocrite. I I remember when I used to read this passage in 1 Samuel 16 about God looks in the heart, I felt like that God was going to club me every time I had a a bad fault in my heart. And that happens like a thousand times a day, doesn't it? I don't think that's the right application. A better application is, is somebody who's frequently repenting. Somebody who's frequently confessing. Say, Lord, here I am again. Cleanse me, wash me, renew me. To be much, much better to be a frequent and genuine repenter than to be a smiling hypocrite. Lord, you already see me. We sang it this morning. Search me, O God, know my thoughts. You already see me, Lord. I kind of gave it the negative statement, but here's the positive too. Here's the positive. Sincere believer, God sees your heart. He does. He sees when you're struggling with fear and you don't want to struggle with fear. That you want to please Him. 
And God cares and He doesn't despise that. God sees when you're burdened and heavy and weighed down and say, Lord, I don't know if I can go one more step. And I, and I feel like a, a spiritual wimp, but I, I, I can't know if I can make it. But I want to make it. I, I want to trust. God sees that. There may be things in your heart you want to do for the kingdom, but you're not able to do it. God sees the heart. He sees the heart. God sees a heart that says, God... If I would, and I'm going to pray this way, Lord, I would, I would want that person to be blessed and that person to be delivered from darkness to light and this person to be cured and then to have all their needs met and you, meet that, you mean that fully and completely and God doesn't maybe do all that you ask for, but God sees your heart behind that. Isn't that wonderful? God looks on the heart. Well, as we wrap this up, <clears throat> does anybody need to pray this way today? King Jesus, renew my heart. King Jesus, more fully rule and reign in my motives and my thoughts and my actions. King Jesus, it's good to be ruled by You. Help me to know more of the freedom, more of the joy, more of the peace of abiding in Your kingdom. Now, I can just see David. You know, I can see him out there pre-1 Samuel 16. Because I think David already knew the Lord before the anointing. and The Spirit coming on him was not, I don't think, regenerating grace, but qualification and empowering for office, like is often used in the Old Testament. But I can just see David, when nobody's around, out with the sheep, when nobody's around, and he's learning to praise the Lord. I can see David, when nobody else is around, and he's like, hmm, I take care of these sheep. I protect them. I feed them. Jehovah's doing that for me. Jehovah's a way, way better shepherd than I am. I wonder if there are any here today who God is starting a work in you that He's beginning to form your heart according to His will. You find that the sermons aren't quite as boring as they used to be. You find yourself not liking your sins. You find yourself being attracted by words like cleansing and forgiveness. You find yourself wanting to do what's pleasing to the Lord. So let me encourage you, lean into that. Lean into that. Lean into that. If there are any here that are not in that boat, and you're, you're far from the king, you say, that stuff's boring. I love my sin, I want to go my ways. Just know this, the king will conquer his enemies in one of two ways. Run to him for mercy. Run to him for mercy. If you're somewhere in between or on some other avenue of what I've just said, certainly we can all say, King Jesus, renew my heart and cleanse me. Remember today the good news of the gospel that God has provided a king and his name is Jesus. May God bless you.